Okay, well, we're going to get started. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you, everyone, for coming. This is um, part of our one book series on um, the book We Believe You, where we've studied a, a range of themes. The book itself focuses on um, campus sexual assault, and we've used that to have um, a range of talks about services and um, the seriousness and the pervasiveness of um, sexual assault on campuses in, in the United States. We wanted to do something that was a little um, more on the positive side, and since it's Valentine's Day, we thought a discussion about relationships and love would be appropriate and a nice alternative to some of the heavy topics that we've dealt with, and it also is an important topic, of course. And to do that, we have our excellent counselors from our counseling center to be here. I'll let you all introduce your, that yourselves. Thank, thank you for coming, and um, thank you to everyone who's here. Okay, welcome everybody. My name is Anna Coco. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day in the in the cheap seats back there. Um, I'm from the Counseling and Career Development Center, and I have my lovely colleagues, Dr. Linda Brandt and Teresa Hannon, with me today. And we will be talking, as Troy said, about love and healthy romantic relationships. Perfect time to inform everyone that we have a course we've developed called Healthy Romantic Relationships, which students on campus can receive two credit hours for. It runs eight weeks, and if this topic is of interest to you, please consider enrolling in that course. We hope today that we can share and learn from each other, and that this isn't just us talking at you, but that we can hear from the audience in terms of how this is these topics have maybe manifested in your relationships, either past, present, or future. Um, and we wanted to acknowledge that while we're exploring the different types, communication habits, and mindfulness practice practices that enhance or involved in healthy relationships, we may not expound on every type of relationships, such as um, aromantic relationships, polyamorous or multi-partner relationships, or asexual relationships, where sexual connection um, may vary in its um, amount. So we just wanted to acknowledge that. But with every relationship, there is usually a dyad, um, and we feel that there is value in what we're saying that even applies to said relationships. Also, if anything we say today um, is resonating with you and, and causing reflection where you feel you might be in a toxic relationship or in an abusive relationship um, or something feels off, all of the counseling staff is available to help process that in S202. So we can continue the conversation and dialogue in our offices. Okay. At this time, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Linda Brandt, who will be talking <coughs> about the faces of love. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. All right, well, just to begin, um, humans have a natural inclination to form bonds with one another. And in fact, an anthropologist by the name of Helen Fisher, in her book, Why We Love, um, uses brain scans to show that love is the product of chemical reactions in our brain and that these reactions have a genetic basis and therefore love is a natural desire as powerful as hungry and uh, as hunger and sometimes what's even more powerful is if you have the desire to love and you're hungry at the same time 
And if that's the case of anybody in the multitudes of people that are here today, <laughs> please feel free, help yourself to some of the candy that's around. <coughs> Again, let me just reiterate that uh, what Anna said, which is that we hope today will help you assess, evaluate past relationships, or if you're in the market for a new relationship, but to really give you some ideas about what constitutes kind of a healthy romantic relationship, what are the areas that are easy for you, which are the ones that may be a little bit more difficult for you, and we'll, we'll look at towards the end um, maybe some of the reasons, you know, some of the things that block or impede our relationships. No. Okay. okay. Right. So now let's start with um, the three faces of love. So there was a psychologist, um, he passed away, but his name is Robert Sternberg. And I love his triangular theory of love because it's a really kind of simple um, theory that gives us, I think, some of the foundations and structure to take a look at what is love. So for him, he said there were three main components, intimacy, passion, commitment, or what he calls the warm, hot, and cool elements of a healthy romantic relationship. So let's look at each of these individually. Let's start with intimacy. Click. Great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so intimacy is that emotional or warm part. It's the liking part. It's kind of the fun part. It includes closeness, sharing, communication, support. <coughs> What's really important about intimacy is that you actually let yourself be seen and known. And that it feels safe to bear your soul, that there's no fear of judgment or shame. And at its best, with intimacy, you're not afraid that if you reveal who you really are, that it's going to be used as ammunition against you at some later date. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So the best part of intimacy is that when you feel accepted and liked for who you are, you don't have to pretend to be somebody who you think the other person wants you to be. Okay, next one, commitment. This is the cool or thinking part, the rational part. This is when things are going really well in your short-term relationship, and you make a conscious decision, you and your partner, that you want to go from a short-term to long-term commitment to maintain the relationship. At its best, there's this commitment and a sense of security even that when life throws punches your ways, and it will, and it's like a roller coaster, that there's this commitment that you guys, I shouldn't say guys, that people, men and women, will hang together um, to work through all the tough parts. Whether that's life's roller coaster or whether you really run into rough spots between the two of you. So that's at its best. Sometimes what happens with commitment is that people stay together out of duty or obligation. And you've heard some people say that a couple decides to stay together for the sake of the children. Or sometimes when people fear change, they'll stay in the relationship just because that's familiar. And sometimes if you only have a sense of commitment with not the intimacy or the physical part, it can feel a little empty. So now let's get to the hot part of love, and that's passion. 
So this is the physiological arousal. Um, it's a motivational part that leads to, it can lead to an intense desire, attraction for sex. It can feel like love at first sight. It can be a, a fling, it can be a hookup. Um, at its best, when passion is working well, particularly if it's combined with some of the other elements, then um, the physical part can be really intense and enjoyable. And you can almost even feel a sense that you're merging with the other person in, in kind of a, a sexual act. Um, the part that's confusing about passion is that sometimes it can get confused with what's called infatuation. So let's take a look at what infatuation is. So infatuation is great, it feels great. It can be this ecstatic feeling of having fallen in love, a fantasy about being in love. It can feel fantastic, maybe this is the right person. Um, but love is not infatuation. Now couples can start out infatuated with each other and it can move into a deepening phase where it can start leading towards forming a love relationship. <coughs> But this is an area where I think people really get into trouble. And why does it happen? It can happen because it usually happens in the very beginning of a relationship. And at the beginning of a relationship, you don't really know who that person is. And so consciously or unconsciously, you then can project onto that person anything you need them to be or want them to be. So imagine you see this person and you kind of put them on a pedestal um, and they become whoever you need them to be. So <coughs> long time ago, right, the fairy tales, um, I was looking for my knight in shining armor or I was looking for that strong, silent type. And why was that positive? Because that knight or strong, silent type was going to be somebody to keep me safe and protect me and to make sure that everything was okay. So we often need this person, again, at the beginning, to validate who we are, give us a sense of self-worth, give us a sense of competence. Um, so I remember this one couple I was dealing with, and the woman, who was really very smart, really doubted her sense of intelligence, and so she, almost every relationship that she became involved with had to be somebody who was brilliant. Because if this brilliant person really thought she was terrific and smart, then that must mean and prove that indeed she was smart. The other troublesome, the other <laughs> troublesome area that can often happen in this phase is that we can fall for people who have a lot of problems. And in fact, they have a lot more problems than we have. So number one, if I'm with somebody who has a lot of problems, that makes me feel better because <laughs> I have less problems. Two, I feel needed. Three, I feel like I can be a helper. And four, this person is never going to leave me. So I don't have to worry about abandonment and loss. So what's the usual progression? Let's take a look at, okay. so. What can often happen, again, at its best, infatuation can move right along into a long relationship, but at its worst, what can happen is 
that the person, when you, when you get to know them, you realize they're not really who you thought they were, right? And so they fall off the pedestal. A pattern sometimes start, um, can begin, where infatuation, those feelings, that wild ecstatic feeling can be really addicting. And what I've seen is that people love that infatuation part. Somebody falls off the pedestal, which is inevitable. The infatuation dies out, and they go, bye, because you can always find something wrong with anybody, any excuse, any reason to leave the relationship. And so then they go on to the next person and have that new idealization and infatuation. That ends, you leave that, and you go on to the next. So you kind of see this serial sense of where people get addicted to that sense of that wild feeling. And then what can happen is when that breaks up, I've actually seen people go through like withdrawal, you know, physically as well as mentally. And that again sometimes pushes them into the next infatuated relationship. So ultimately, we want to have a good dose of each of these elements in a healthy romantic relationship. And each of these different elements, not you, each of these elements, you know, the intimacy, the commitment, and the passion can have different priorities for us depending on our age. If you're in your teens, in your 20s, um, the different phases of your relationship I think are really important. Before children, <laughs> after children, <laughs> right? Um, you know, then getting into older age. So, but it's interesting to take a look at all three of these uh, components for yourself and to take a look at where you think you are, what's the most problemsome area for you. What a lot of people don't realize is that we, we probably remember and feel that wish for intimacy and closeness and intense relationships. What many people don't realize is that existing side by side with that wish, which is our most human need, wish to be touched, um, to be with somebody, to be supported, nourished, that with that wish, we have a lot of fears. And so every person has a different level of comfort or tolerance for how close and intense you want to be, or maybe you need a little more distance. So let me just fill you in on some of the fears that people often have or don't even realize that they have. So many of these fears, these are probably the most basic common fears that I've come across with couples. And a lot of these um, are initiated or start out because of our childhood experiences. So let me just briefly cover them before we move on. So there's a fear of merging. Because relationships can be so intense, you can almost feel engulfed, that you lose your own sense of identity, that you're just doing whatever this other person wants you to do or be whoever this person wants you to be. So that loss of sense of your own autonomy and identity can be very fearful and you need a sense of distance. Fear of exposure. So we talked about intimacy is really letting people, um, letting your partner really see you for who you really are. But sometimes, and in the past, um, those, that information can be used as ammunition against you and it can be a sense of shame and humiliation. 
So sometimes you want to not let somebody know really who you are. Fear of attack. This is really kind of very um, sad, but in some situations, if you've grown up in a physically abusive relationship with your parents, sometimes closeness can get associated with physical abuse, and you're going to need distance. And the last one, fear of abandonment. If for whatever reason, you know, one parent left the house, there was a divorce, there was a prolonged um, hospitalization, there was a death. Um, so I personally lost two parents at a fairly early age. And so that's one that I can really talk about that I hadn't realized how much it really affected my own relationships, that it was really scary to let myself get too close to somebody because if I did, maybe they would leave or die or something as well. So I think what's important, um, again, is just not to use some of this information to criticize yourself, but to be, be aware. And I think um, Trace is really going to talk a lot more about this, and Anna too, about looking at the different ways that we regulate our closeness and intimacy, what are the things that get in our way, and to, and to look at ourselves in a very compassionate and curious way so that we can use these tools that we're presenting today to improve and enrich our relationships. So when the fantasy ends and no one is on a pedestal and things get real, we need to talk about some of the common pitfalls. And Dr. John Gottman, who is a world-renowned psychologist and actually runs a famous relationship clinic with his wife, Dr. Julie Gottman, named some of these pitfalls the Four Horsemen, which is taken from the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and associated with end times and disaster. So these are definitely things we want to be aware of um, when we are enacting. They are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Contempt is actually the most serious of the horsemen and the best predictor of separation. But when any of these are present, it is a good indicator that you are beginning to erode the love reserve you've built up with your partner. Also, I need to mention Dr. John Gottman is a UW alum like myself. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, had to say it. So the, f the horsemen are on the left on each slide, and the, the behavior we want to try and engage in is on the right. Criticism is something we can unintentionally engage in and bring into our relationships. It doesn't feel good. But sometimes we use it unintentionally, to get our point across. So I might say to my partner, you don't ever listen. But what my partner might hear is, I'm not a good listener, I'm not good at this relationship thing, or my partner doesn't value me. Conversely, we would love to see couples begin to use I statements and open up the dialogue to share in the issue. So what role do I play, what role do you play? I just wanted your attention and I felt dismissed. That's much more in touch with the expression, what I want to express to my partner. 
and it, it definitely opens the dialogue and feels safer. Keep the focus on yourself instead of attacking your partner. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> so contempt, which I've mentioned, is the most serious of the four horsemen. It puts, when you engage in, in sarcasm and eye-rolling and name-calling, you're putting yourself on a higher ground than your partner, and there's this feeling of I'm superior, and it just doesn't feel good. Again, erodes the relationship and is the most serious and best predictor of relationships ending. Some of the name calling that I may or may not have heard in my past relationship is, you know, you're you're being a baby, you're 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 lazy, um, you might you you're too frugal, you're cheap, and it's it's said in the context that's meant to put the person on a higher ground. <coughs> Versus building a culture of appreciation, some of us in counseling will will say, put your reserves in the bank, put money in the bank. If you're going to make withdrawals. You're going to have fights and arguments and issues that's going to happen in any relationship. That culture of appreciation, those reserves need to be strong. Some ways to build up those reserves might be remind yourself of why your partner is amazing. Why did you begin dating them in the first place? What attracted you to that person? And sometimes as the relationship goes on and, and we're exiting that passion phase or that infatuation phase, um, we may need to remind ourselves how other people view our partner and the amazing qualities they possess. Express gratitude for their positive actions. So we say with children, catch them being good. If your partner does something praiseworthy, praise them. Praise them so that they can breathe that into their soul and know how much you appreciate them. Express admiration for what makes them unique. I like to do this during commercial breaks on bus rides or car rides when there's just a lull in conversation. Um, also, I know many of us use social media and text or, or use Snapchat. Sometimes it's nice to spontaneously express admiration to your partner. Um, sometimes it's nice for your partner to know that that's being publicly shared. Um, and the last one, never stop dating your partner. Some of those um, dates and alone time, especially in times of stress, can wane. We want to make sure that we're actively dating our partner, no matter how long we've been with them. Defensiveness is the last, or the third, the third horseman, versus taking responsibility. So <coughs> defensiveness is when <coughs> someone in the relationship is voicing displeasure, and the response from the other party is a counterattack, or acting like an innocent victim. Unfortunately, defensiveness validates no one and it puts the blame squarely on the other person. So, so it's really useless. Um, instead, consider accepting apologies and choosing your battles and asking yourself what is sacrifice versus what, if, what is gained if you accept a piece of or their entire perspective on an issue. Oh, oh I did want to give one example of that. So with defensiveness, with defensiveness, um, the example that I had thought of is sometimes couples will have different thresholds of what's okay um, in terms of being prompt. And I know in, in my relationship, sometimes I feel rushed or misunderstood in my concept of time versus my, part my partner's concept of time. But we're arriving as a couple 
Um, and for those of you in multi-partner partner relationships, this may be even more complicated. You're arriving um, all together. But I think what's important is not saying, you know, it's your fault we're always late, but saying what role do I play in us arriving late and how can I support you in helping us arrive on time? It's very different than it's your fault. So that's being defensive and engaging in a counterattack. Okay, stonewalling is something that kind of builds up after the, the other three horsemen have been present, and we can ice people out. In counseling, I see um, icing out, taking on a different life form through Snapchats, not reading stories, leaving people unread. So it's an interesting way of stonewalling. Um, the classic way would be like the couple on the left turning your back on each other, pretending to be engaged in other activities, which sends a message of, you know, my feelings are more important than yours at this time, and I don't have time for you. Stonewalling can feel very justified. So I'm icing you out because I don't like how you're treating me. But what we would love to see is for couples to self-soothe and take a moment to reflect on why this is feeling the way it's feeling and if you have to withdraw, at least make um, a statement of, I'm going to step back from this while I collect myself, but we will return for a healthy discussion about this issue because it's going to continue to bother me if we don't address it. Sometimes John, Got John Gottman would say, you know, you can distract <coughs> each other, de distract from the issue by spending time together, um, but if you are feeling things have boiled up to a point where you are losing control, John Gottman would say, take yourself off the flame. You know, take some alone time with the, the disclaimer that you're returning to the conversation at a later date. But go for a bike ride, go for a walk. Explore your feelings, become fluent in whatever it is that's going on. Okay, at this time I'll turn it over to Teresa who will talk about becoming more aware of when this is happening. Good morning. How present are we right now? <laughs> Where are you guys right now? No, seriously. Too often when we're with somebody, we're not with somebody. And so the mindfulness piece is really important in terms of re a relationship because it creates the pause. So uh, John Gottman is, um, is pretty well known in the mindfulness world, or in the Western world, but he describes mindfulness as awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally, okay? And so even as you guys are sitting here, where are you? Are you thinking about somewhere else you would rather be? Are you thinking about maybe your own relationship as we talk about it? Um, are you putting any rebuttals together about what we say? Yes, but? So, you know, I, the, the big thing is the pause. I can't, I can't express enough the pause that's important. So this is, um, this is a psychotherapist, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, who really just does mindful, Therapy, see if I can get it to work. Okay. 
again. It's not working, but I'll just go with it. So basically what she's telling, what she says is when she works with couples, her biggest um, goal is to create a pause, to create that space where you don't say or do something that you regret. Has that happened to anybody here in relationship? <laughs> right? Yes. We say something, and the moment we say it even sometimes, we're like, why did I say that? Now, part of the reason um, we're not the best in our relationship is because we're stressed. When are we at our worst? Do you guys know when you're at your worst in relationships? When is that? Too many tasks, okay? Um, two of the, uh, one of the, what? I find myself when I'm criticized. When you're criticized and you shut down, okay? Um, one of the biggest marital fights I had is when my husband and I took the kids to Disneyland, Disney World. Because I was on one plane of we got to do all this thing, and he was like, hey, let's have some coffee, you know? <laughs> and so... Um, what happened was I put a lot of stress into what was supposed to be a fun time, okay? Um, so mindfulness and awareness can give us that ability to, to really connect with our feelings, our vulnerability, and our heart, okay? So we can really act from a sense of authenticity. What is important to us? Is it important to us to be right, or is it important to us to be connected? So in a current relationship, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt off-balanced, overwhelmed, misunderstood, resent resentment, unbelievably angry, okay? <laughs> and where did you feel that in your body? So for some people who aren't as connected to thoughts and feelings because they haven't had that practice, the body is a great cue. So when you hear that, when you s feel that heart rate go up or you feel your face get hot, that means you're having a reaction. And in counseling, when we're meeting with students, they're like, no, I'm not mad, I'm not upset, and you can just see their face flushed, you know that that's not true, okay? So for you guys, if you're just trying to get, trying to get aware, just be aware of your feelings, I mean of your body and what's going on with your body, okay? This unbelievable anger can really be very detrimental. We already talked about that with Anna. But let me tell you about the donut fight of, I think it was 1995 that I had with my husband, okay? The donut fight. So once in a blue moon, we would get Dunkin' Donuts, okay? And we had three children. We were really excited. I opened this box of Dunkin' Donuts, and there's no blueberry cake donuts. And I was beside myself because by this time I had been with my husband several years and he should know if he really loved me that I like blueberry cake donuts, okay? So the point is I created a whole storyline over something that what shouldn't have been there. And I was not in my best counselor mode at that point. <laughs> <coughs> so again, now that I've been a counselor a lot longer, I know that when I'm having a strong reaction, I need to become aware. I need to know 
it, you know, where I am in maybe in the four horsemen. Am I using any of the four horsemen? Okay. If I'm feeling a disconnection from my significant other, where am I at in the, in the three faces of love? Am I not being intimate in terms of sharing and connecting? So those are things that we can use in our everyday life. So, you know, by developing a mindful view of relationship, here are some things that can happen. It could really help you build a pause. And so how many of you guys actually give yourself five to ten minutes every day of contemplative time where you sit and you just be? Yeah, no one, right? <laughs> and, and, oh, good, we have, we, have, we have a winner, okay? That's great because what does that do? That allows your mind to settle that allows the storylines to fade away, and that allows your, yourself to just kind of be in the moment. <coughs> um, notice if your actions, uh, reaction to relationships is rooted in any of, the same, any of the fears that Linda talked about. When you're having reaction, what's, what's really going on? Does it meet what's really going on? Like the donut fight, right? Um, and be aware of obviously any of the four horsemen that show up in criticism, cynicism, eye-rolling, contempt, that sort of thing. So I want to talk a little bit about social media and relationships because in, as counselors, we hear a lot about that. And it has, <laughs> I would say, has caused another kink in the armor around relationships, trying to negotiate that. So um, social media is not going away. Technology is not going away. We know that. So what I like, I like to use social media as a way where you can actually um, create that pause. You see something on social media, you see a Snapchat, notice that reaction, because you're not in front of that person. <laughs> so you can have a reaction and notice it, but don't act on it. Does that make sense? Or a Facebook post or a Twitter um, feed. Don't react at it, just notice how you're feeling. So social media can some ways actually create a pause for us in ways that being with somebody cannot. So that's the positive. Um, stop, breathe, and touch your feelings. Figure out what's going on. And we don't always do that. Has anybody sent something through technology, whether social media, email, that they regretted afterwards? You know, because we didn't give ourselves a pause. We didn't stop. We didn't settle. We didn't, yes. I just put my thoughts in a memo in my phone, but I think about it later. Yeah, she puts it in a memo in her phone and just kind of <laughs> hangs out and, and waits and let it settle. That's a great way to deal with it, okay? Because when you give yourself that pause, then you can discern how you're going to act or react. Then that question is Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to repeat that? I didn't hear that. Text messaging between her and her significant other. She puts it in draft. She <laughs> wants to react. She doesn't react. She just kind of hangs out there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it. So you guys, you get what I'm saying, right? And th this is no news to you. So some t really quick tips um, about in integrating mindfulness practice into relationships. Um, so next time you engage in a conversation, it just doesn't have to be your significant other. It can be somebody that you're close to, a friend of yours. Um, be completely present. That is remove any distractions. Is it cell phone, computers, TVs? That's really hard for us to do. We are very connected. But give it five or ten minutes and put that down. 
because that'll give you the time to really connect with yourself and actually really connect with that significant other, okay? Because when do we grab our cell phones often? When we're feeling discomfort, when we're feeling boredom, neither one we want, okay? Really look at their face. See if you can see anything, any notice anything that you've never seen before. You know, I noticed my husband's hair the other day that he's got kind of like a dark line behind green. And there's gray on the top and gray on the bottom. There's just this dark line. I never noticed that before. I cut his hair for Christ's sake. I don't even know that. <laughs> so, but something like that. <coughs> Take, uh, taking some time to really discover, and Anna really touched on this, really appreciate that. But that, that you have to do. You have to be mindful about doing that. You have to take that time. So once a week, twice a week, think, okay, what is this cool, what cool thing is he or she doing in my life, okay? Um, and again, Anna talked about this, if that, if that conversation becomes heated, notice how you're feeling. Remove yourself from the flame, take a pause. And here's a big one, this is, this is my big trap, is notice the storyline you have in your head about this person. Like my husband, who didn't buy me blueberry cake donuts because I put a whole storyline about why that happened, which was not true. And then pay attention to your behaviors and, and feelings. Are you acting aggressive or withdrawing? Where are you at in this relationship? What are you doing to maybe not help the situation? And then again, what's behind that? As Linda talked, what are maybe one of the four fears that are involved in that? So again, the key here is to creating a more mindful relationship is creating a pause, slowing things down, and really connecting with yourself. So um, at this time, I don't know if we had any questions or comments or thoughts. Oh, actually, Linda has a little something for, um, for everybody to do and look at. Yeah. treats for you um, aside from the candy anybody that is in a, a serious relationship um, aka marriage I want you to take one of these so this is called this is called caring days and Anna talked about the importance of being able to put um, to build your reserves Right? So if you have lots of money in the bank and something breaks down, you can handle it. So you need a reservoir in relationships, a reservoir of good feelings that we oftentimes just forget. So Caring Days is a situation where you and your partner come up with, so let's say Teresa and I are married. and Or in I'm any union. Or any union, right? So I come up with a list of five things that if she did for me would make me feel cared about, appreciated, and loved. She comes up with her own list of five things that likewise, if I did for her, would make her feel cared about, loved, appreciated. And you can make sure that you can, there can be some topics that are off limits. So sex, for example, or money. Um, but then, after we make our list, I look at her list and I say, Teresa, I would like to pick this one to do for you this week. 
So the fact that I get to choose from her list, right? I don't feel like I'm pushed to do anything. And likewise, and this is worth um, about $1,000 of couples therapy, <laughs> guaranteed. Um, so we'd like to leave this with you as well. So I know there's so many people out here. Um, <laughs> I will leave this with you. But again, any other questions, comments? If anyone would like to um, sign in, but as I look over where the sign-in sheet was, oh, okay, S our wonderful counselor, Suzanne Nasser has it. Um, if there's any students who would like to put their name down as attending, we have that available if you're here for class. And thank you so much for coming.